0: I'm going to the Warriors parade because they had just won the championship and I'm getting in my very first Uber. And I'm like, what is this? And it's like, yo, it's Uber, like this new taxi system. You can create (laughs) your own schedule. Um, You just type in the app and the person like picks you up and drops you off. No money is exchanged. It goes to their bank account. And so the light bulb goes off from like the bouncer and I'm like, I spend the like five minute drive asking him questions about the job. So I'm like, hey, yo, my man, like, how do you like this? What do you do? And he's just like, man, I just talk with people. Uh, mobile bartending is what I call it. And I was like, yeah, because like you get the client, you make them feel good. And and hopefully they're in a better place with how you, you left them. And so what I was able to do with my money now is I'm coming home overseas and I'm saving the money I earn and I would Uber drive. On the weekends, I'm I'm over here, you know, uh, honing in on my craft Monday through Friday. In the evening, I would go visit various friends when they got off of work and would kind of socialize with them. And then I'd spend my Friday, Saturday, Sundays driving Uber, making an additional, you know, one to two thousand dollars a week uh, just for not going out. As you're going out spending money, I'm getting
1: paid. Uh, I'm getting paid money while you're going out and you like your leisure time. Welcome to the Millennials and Money podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and financial professional, Peyton Boyer invites a millennial guest on the show to share the money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show.
2: Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Millennials and Money podcast. I'm your host, as always, financial professional with homes, financial Peyton Boyer, And this week, we got another exciting guest. We have a guest, former professional basketball player, now serving as Published Director for the Social Publication Magazine, Amir Caraway. Say what's up, Amir. What's going on, Peyton? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm glad to have you on the
0: show. Same, man. I'm super excited.
2: So, Amir, we're going to get into your life story, man, and more about what you do and more about your money story here in a bit. But, you know, this show is all about money and people's money stories. And I find those cornerstones get set in place from young age, from childhood. So why don't we go back there? Why don't you tell us what money was like for you and your household as you were growing up?
0: Oh, man. Uh, money was interesting. It was it was kind of tough. Um, I, You know, from my earliest memories, I remember being in, a, uh, I think, a one-bedroom apartment with my mom. Uh, in American Canyon, um, father wasn't in the picture, but I had a great support system with my grandparents and my family. Uh, my mom would, um, from as early as you know preschool to, to mid elementary, my mom would drop me off at my grandmother's in the morning and go off to work and commute in the city, uh, San Francisco that is. And until I was able to go to school, I'd, I'd be with my grandmother all day. So uh, riding around Vallejo, California, mm-hmm. Uh, going to the bank post office grocery store and most importantly bible study uh my my grandmother was uh, head missionary and um i guess not first lady uh her best friend was the pastor's wife but we we were big in the church then and um so i lived in the church and i, I kind of got a a good sense of you know right and wrong and and Uh, my relationship with God, and and it grew from there. From from grade school on, I went to North Hills Christian School. Uh, Everybody knows that school. Uh, The Church Church on the Hill, I think is what they called it, but uh, it was a K-12 school where, uh, again, my mom would sometimes then drop me off in the morning. Grandmother, grandfather would pick me up at 3 o'clock, and we'd hang it at my grandmother's house until our parents um, got off of work from the commute uh in the city. Uh, me and a few of my cousins all in the same age. Our uh-huh. grandmother and grandfather was kind of our our uh babysitter/slash second parent.
2: But yeah, that's cool, man. That reminds me you were talking. So back in the day in the, in the uh late 90s, a bunch of families, black families from the bay, moved up from the bay up here to Sac and Elk Grove. And I was one of those families, and some of the families that moved around with us, you're actually really good friends with that family too. So it's funny how we tie back in. I was just thinking that as you were saying that, and we know a lot of the same people, actually a former guest on the show, Robin Cross, is like the sister of your best friend.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've known Robin. So, and it's funny how you mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of people from the Bay. Uh, I think it was 1994, we moved in with my grandmother. My mom needed a year you know, her career's going good uh, as a legal assistant in one of the top law firms out there. My mom needed a year to save her money because um, she always wanted to put me in a house and uh, have that house experience. And so uh, little did I know, we moved from Cordelia uh, in about like 1995. But before I ended up moving to Sacramento, we had first heard of Elk Grove and our fir- our two home choices was moving to uh Cordelia or, or Elk Grove. But, um, I guess fast forward eight years and we, we made the move from, uh, Cordelia. Once my mom, um, divorced, we moved up to Elk Grove. And then that's where I met Robin, uh, and her brother, Tim, you know, first I had that whole summer. It was the summer of 03. So (laughs) I got to watch LeBron and Melo get drafted. Uh, vice city was the game of choice. And, Mm. um, 50 Cent dropped that great album "Get Rich or Die Trying," so I, I can had those three staples until school started. But then that's when I met the Cross family.
2: I could still hear that little half dollar drop in that uh, oh, yeah. "Get Rich or Die Trying," man. And you hear that, you know it's going down. Oh yeah. But so let's time. talk. Let's talk about money in the household. What was money like for you and your mom and your grandparents when you're growing up in a single single uh, single
0: parent household? What was it like for you? Yeah, it was. You know, my mom worked hard. Um, she never kind of showed struggle, so I didn't really uh, kind of have to experience it. Um, I, I do remember kind of early, uh, you know, getting frustrated. Uh, come like Christmas time and stuff. It, you know, I'm I'm the only kid in the house. Uh, I got uh, brothers and sisters that are much older, but they lived with their their um, parents. Um, and, and so, um, you know, come Christmas time, you know, getting one gift yet seeing you know, your cousins getting sprayed with love and not really, uh, learning the, uh, the value of being, you know, uh, grateful, thankful, you know, showing gratitude and, and kind of knowing the situation at hand of what you do have. Um, we were fortunate enough to be in a home, my mom's, you know, providing the necessities and, and, you know, just, I guess, learning at a young age, you know, material uh, possessions aren't everything. And and to truly, you know, kind of focusing on that, that first, you know, home equity, so to speak. And, and you know, that's kind of how
2: it is for a lot of the families that I'm familiar with. We, we're growing up at different times. Like, kids were not in the mix. We didn't know what was going on financially. So a lot of times we didn't understand why we couldn't get things that other people we knew had. But it's because parents didn't talk, that generation didn't really talk to us about money. We hey, mind your own business. It's none of your concern. You have sometimes we have it, sometimes we don't. And right. we learn how we learn how to deal with that. But talk to me about how that mindset of knowing the necessities of having the things the things that really matter, what so really matter to you, how that, how, how those kind of cornerstones you got laid in place from childhood to a young age, not having it all, knowing how to do without for the greater good, how that impacts you as you got more mature. Talk about your your time of more independence. I don't know if this was the college years. This probably sometime before the uh, pro basketball years. What are some of your earliest experiences on independent money when you're
0: supporting yourself? I mean, in a nutshell, and, and, you know, taking it from grade school, middle school, high school, college, go get it yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want more, do more. Uh, I had a gr- grandfather that was a huge staple in my life as a role model, as a black man, uh, who provided for all of his family, his kids, their kids. Uh, my, my grandmother was a, a staple in the community of Vallejo as a counselor, um, role model as a mother, a uh, single parent or not, uh, go get it yourself. Uh, I can fourth grade selling Word Up magazine uh, posters, uh, for like a quarter or a dollar. Middle school uh, with that same mutual friend selling candy. Uh, that evolved into, I mean, anything I can get my hands on, man. Uh, I used there was that uh, there's that pamphlet in the mail where you can get like 12 CDs for like $13 <laughs> or something yeah. like that. And I would just go ahead and, and flip that. I try to find like the, the top CDs that I knew that were doing good album wise on the charts and, and try to showcase that. And, uh, Stefan Marbury dropped his $20 shoes, Starberries. I bought those and try to sell those for 40, you know, it just evolved get it, get it yourself. Um, summer after college, I I signed on at Chico state to play a basketball scholarship.
2: Let's stop here. Let's stop here. Uh Cause that's what I wanted to hear right there. I want to hear that hustle that came from your parents, from your grandparents, from your mom, your grandparents, both of them in the community and making it happen. And I love the fact that you took that and you saw, like, go get it yourself. There's nothing you can teach a kid. Well, I, well, the word of God is top first, foremost, but as far as going and getting yourself, that's something that they can't get taken away. So you saw that from what your mom did on her own and what your grandparents did. So I think that's awesome, man, to see that and be able to use it and learn from it to your own better, to better your own situation. Yeah, man. So now, now talk to me about basketball. You're hooping in, in high school. And then what happened, man? Talk to me what happened next. Yeah, I know you went oh. to Franklin, which is a really good school. Like, it's a really good public school up here in Elk Grove. And pretty much everyone I know who went there went out to university right after high school. So talk to me about, did you know you're going to university? Were you going there just to who? What was the plan?
0: Uh, to be honest, I, I, I felt like I did. I didn't, uh, having a single parent mom and and being kind of the first athlete in the family, my, my family kind of comes from a musical background, learning uh, firsthand, you know, kind of the the mini business behind basketball, going to AAU events and, and um, exposure camps to, you know, get your name out there and build your brand was new for me. And, uh, you know, when my mom divorced uh, when I was 13 and we moved up to Sacramento, um, it was just her. She She's still working. And that's kind of when I became the man of the house. Um, wondering, you know, how much are these exposure camps? Who's gonna be there? That whole system, politics, the politics behind it. And uh, I did have a, a teammate that went on to play Division One same year, um, and he was fortunate enough to go to most of those. And his parents would drive and uh, send him out and stuff like that. And I had to do it. I had to get it out the mud. So uh, you know, one of the first things I did was I just asked questions. He'd come back from the weekend on that Monday, and I'm like, "Yo, how'd the camp go?" What drills did you do? What did you see? And I, I would go in and take those same drills that he'd tell me firsthand. I asked every question in detail and I would do it on my own. Um, just kind of waiting for that opportunity. Uh, it wasn't until uh, my eighth grade year where uh, a, a classmate of mine started his own AAU team, and me being tall and this little chubby kid at the time uh, was the starting center there. Uh, but getting in that work habit and and learning uh you know competitive basketball, you know, at this next level of like the AAU circuit. I, I played at Allen Whit Park every every season they had in Fairfield, uh California with like the same buddies I had from the Christian school. We we always would team up and felt like we always lose. We've always <laughs> lost to, to what happened to be like the Fairfield Ballers AAU squad. We would always <laughs> lose. They, they too had a team and a squad. But, you know, the Allen Witt days got me that competitive fire. And uh, I knew at an early age I wanted to play basketball. Was, it was one of those things where I remember sitting down and we're signing up. And I, I think I was three years old at the time or four years old. And I, I think I was four. And the league itself was for five and up. And, uh, you know, I was tall for my age, so I think they kind of like squeezed me in as an exception. But uh, once I played, man, I never put the ball down and um, just did what I could and tried to figure out ahead of time, you know, what what it is I needed to do. Whether that was like the SATs, having like a high English and, and uh, math score, I was always, I think, two years ahead of my math level. Uh, when I moved to Elk Grove, I was always in an honors English class um and then i did the ap circuit you know senior year and all that stuff but uh, made sure my grades were right and played hard and uh, unfortunately my senior year at franklin i, I broke my foot my second uh game of the season and um i had just started getting uh, college recruitment letters so i had to deal with some some quick adversity and uh i think i got cleared like a game before playoffs and it's like, hey, um, we had, you know, state championship aspirations that year and uh, fell short, I think, two or three rounds of state. We lost to McClymans, who was a three-time state returner uh, and, and lost in their home gym up the whole game until the fourth quarter and uh, ended up losing to them. But you sound like I the left.
2: Sacramento Kings, man, up the whole game. Yeah, the <laughs> That's the story of my team's life, man. Up the Yeah. Whole
0: but uh but was lucky, was lucky enough to get seen by uh Coach Arginal uh at the time who who's at Chico State. And now he's at the University of uh, Arkansas uh and got an opportunity to play at Chico State. But hey,
2: you know, that th- that's something that you don't hear much. I've never heard that story from that perspective. When it comes to you as a student athlete, a lot of people think student athletes got it made in the shade. But this is in high school and you, your motivation to do well in school, to take those AP classes, was to give you a was to give you an opportunity to be seen by the best colleges. So the, I think that's really cool, man. It shows the the the, the lasting impact that sports, that, that even even high school sports can have on somebody as far as positioning them for the future. So I'm glad yeah. you shared that, man. So Chico State talking about those years, early our first time in college and. Was this your first time moving out? I'm, I'm assuming it was. You had to be at home at 17 before that. So,
0: yeah, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, per, how perspective has kind of played a role in my life. Uh, I used to have this term Vallejo state of mind. Um, coming from a small town, when I moved to Sacramento, man, at the time, you could have told me I was moving, you know, over two states. Sacramento sounded far. I'd never been there. Uh, and, and you know, an hour away as a, as a kid seemed like a whole lot longer. You know, coming from Vallejo, and so uh, getting that new ch- uh that new exposure to diversity, um, and, and that different cultural aspect, you know, prepared me for college. Going to Franklin High, kind of as, as we talked about before, everyone's mindset at Franklin was getting out. It was kind of that I don't want to call it a commuter town, but a lot of people didn't originally come from Elk Grove. And, you know, just uh, shout outs to the administrators and the teachers at Franklin. It was like, hey, this is uh, this is just a stop. This isn't the destination. We're trying to get you onto prestigious university. So like my graduating class, I and mean, we had people going to Hawaii, Syracuse. Um, the year before we had a, a guy, I forgot the name of the scholarship, but he was able to go do as much school as he wanted uh, until he wanted to stop and it would be paid for. Um, and you, you probably know the guy, I can't remember his name now, but, um, that was just the mindset. So when I got to Chico state, um, seeing, you know, different diversity and, and seeing a whole nother new experience, you know, this is, this would be my second or third stage of that. And so, uh, I tried to just hit the ground running, uh, a little bit to my demise. I kind of came in there with the big head and, uh, <laughs> luckily my teammates uh were there to to um settle me down man to to definitely uh keep me grounded and level-headed and and let me know like hey this isn't uh yeah you had D1 goals but hey this D2 thing is real too and and we're no pushovers either so i went from uh one of the worst players on the team uh i stopped working out like the month before i got there <laughs> I was, I was selling Cutco and, and killing it in that aspect. Um, but, but I came in uh, not realizing the grind that had gotten me there would be that same grind I would need, but but to kind of level up and, and handle it a better way in order to make it to the next level.
2: So you mentioned selling Cutco. I, I've had some Cutco guys who, on the show before. They both done really well, like high so, like high six figure range, they've done really well. And and it's, it's a hustle. You learn that you learn to hustle. You learn to sell to get in front of people. So it sounds like you must have been independent in college. You you had, like you said, get it out the mud, get it on your own. So what was it like for you financially? How was finances like for you? in Chico state away from mom, away from grandparents, just you out there in a whole new town. What was it like for you? What are some of the things you learned about money? I, it sounds like you earned money from Cutco. How did that to go?
0: Yeah, the Cutco was great, man. Um, I was like, a, they have a period called like the Push Challenge where you just, you know, two weeks of just grinding. And uh, I was recognized, I think one or two times as like a top fifteen salesman in the region. So that'd be like Sacramento, uh, San Jose, and uh, the rest of the Bay Area. So that that was a good experience. Um, but yeah, just that independent. Uh, college living, we had I had most of my scholarship paid for uh, at Chico State, and then um, you know subsidized loan became one of my best. Friends. <laughs> like I think uh, my mom helped out the very first year, and then was just like, "Hey, uh, figure it out." Uh, not not tough love, and you know she she would help me out from time to time, but I just went ahead and I saw a subsidized loan. You can you can <laughs> get a, a certain amount. And uh, as long as you're in school, kind of the same concept, we're not going to charge you. Uh, didn't know about the forgiveness at the time, but I was like, hey, I can handle that then. I need the money now. And so uh, you saw the fresh Jordans and the fresh outfit <laughs> that first week. Uh, but but, you know, learning to kind of have a budget and, you know, everyone in Chico kind of figures it out. It, it, luckily, the school's uh, pretty inexpensive, like living in the town. But um, yeah, I, I had to wait every semester for that that subsidized <laughs> loan check, and, and kind of financed myself uh, the first couple of years, and I'd started getting kind of summer jobs, and I'd lock in to go train for the the following year, and and kind of figured out how to bring some cash back to Chico.
2: So talk to me about the budgeting, man. Talk to me about budgeting. You're you're, in, you're at party college. You at yeah. Chico State, that was a party. <laughs> I don't know if it still is, but at that time, when you were there, I know that we come from up here just yeah. to go party out there. So talking about learning the budget, but want to kick it still, wanting to have a good time, still got yeah, basketball,
0: talking about that. Yeah, I was going to try and avoid the question, but you, <laughs> you hit it dead on. Uh, it's funny, and Chico, you know, you're going through it and you're broke, but every, you know, Friday, Saturday <laughs> night, you kind of figure out ways to, to purchase your alcohol, you know, (laughs) you you find money somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I don't even know. Yeah. I I can shout out a couple of the, the sponsors, uh, Keystone light was a very cheap (laughs) beverage, uh, that, that you could afford. And, you know, I mean, five to $10 in Chico could take you a long way. Be, be surprised. We had a a local bar have a special where you'd actually get a pitcher of alcohol um for five dollars on a Friday night. And yeah, that that'll that'll get you through through having some good time. So you gotta
2: feel yeah. that party somehow, man.
0: Yeah. And then networking, man. Uh honestly, uh being a basketball player on the on the campus had its benefits. Uh people inviting you to parties, wanting you to, you know, celebrate with them and and just being a good person not not saying being a uh, uh like a takeover but but them inviting you in and them sharing you know their their beverages and, and having a being able to fellowship if you will uh kind of that way was was always uh cool so we we made it work and uh, very just good community i mean you know alcohol is like a uh not a Alcohol was like maybe the thing we did drink, but but the biggest thing I loved about Chico State was just the social seti- setting. Yeah, um, so, being so comfortable I, and, and I like. I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. I was gonna say uh, just the social setting. A, a lot of the we're definitely known as being a party school, but um, you know our academics, our business programs, our nursing programs, our engineering programs were some of the top on the the west uh, the west coast. And when it came to then applying for jobs, we were able to use that social aspect we picked up, mm-hmm. you know, on campus Friday, Saturday nights, and, and just that networking environment and being able to translate that in the work, workplace where we're getting feedback from college recruiters, like, hey, I like coming up here because um, some of my best interviewers are some of the best, you know, students looking to start careers already have that social aspect and, and can you know kind of come right into the workplace so it, it was kind of the the uncovered gift if you will that you know people don't mention about our school but uh definitely pri- prideful is that as a as an alumni
2: yeah i think that's so often overlooked not just in the universities like chico state but even in you know, I have kids now. I'm a father now. And this social skill, I owe so much of my success to my social skills. You and I met because of because we're both social. We've connected with the same person who decided to connect us together because because of our vibe. So that's those are skills that are, like last year during the pandemic, now my son who was starting school this year, like there's some things he's kind of behind on. He had to adjust to, and I feel bad for the people that missed out on that because that's a skill that, You don't necessarily learn in school, but you learn in school from being in school, right? And it sounds like you learned that Chico State also with the career at Cutco, you got to be social. Um, You talked about the engineering program. Henry Sanchez, my previous guest who who works for Cutco, he graduated with with honors in engineering. Okay, Chico State, but but look what. So yeah, I was engineering, but he's selling Cutco killing it because those social skills went farther even than those engineering skills.
0: Right. So Uh, it's not to be overlooked, man. It's not to be overlooked. Yeah. We had uh, Ken DeRocher as the head of engineering. Uh, And how I know that is he's actually a huge basketball, one of our our biggest basketball sponsors in our program. I think my very first uh, preseason banquet, I sat at his table and, you know, he introduced myself. I had, I uh, was in the STEM program at Franklin High. And uh, spent almost every year, man, convincing me to to change my major <laughs> from business to engineering. And I think I told you we were going to uh, maybe create a minor in that uh, in that field for me to you know pick up on my my college resume. And I, I do regret not taking them up on that offer and and uh, studying in that department just just to have that, you know, accomplishment um added to the resume but shout outs Ken DeRocher man and his wife um, lovely people um some, uh, some good friends I made at, at Chico State
2: yeah man that's cool that that's it's always good to have that person believe in you and put that in that, that mentorship and that fact that someone wants to see you succeed they want to see you succeed for you not for them and sometimes that can fuel you more than even you want to see succeed for yourself you don't want to let this person down Especially people like coming from the community, they know how good it feels to have someone bet on them and believe in them, man. So that I, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know how large of an impact he made on you. So if you get time, make sure you go back and tell him and share that with him. Definitely, man. But let's talk about um. Okay, so you're partying, You're still. Oh, I want to ask you. So you again that those AP classes crushing in high school. Now talking about the life as a college athlete. What what was that like? Were, were those grades still there? I know people take it for granted, but I know it's got to be tough. It's like you got a full time job, and then you study your school, full time job, practice, full time job, and you need a job to make money. So talking about that balancing act, what was that like for you, man?
0: Yeah, you know it's, it's tough. Uh, this this year was the is the first kind of inaugural year for the NCAA, and mind you, this is actually Division One only. Um, Division two, like Chico state is still trying to figure out their uh, NIL um, agreements with their athletes so that athletes can either get paid or um, compensated for their, their name image likeness and, or just hold on work. Um, As an NCAA athlete, you are not permitted to have a a job while in college um, because you're considered an amateur. You're not allowed to earn income while being a student. So it, it, it's a hard formula to try and figure out. Um, but our head coach, Greg Klink, you know, really um, had a goal for every one of his student athletes. And and it was the first goal was was to graduate. Um, coach Klink came a year before I did in 2009. And, you know, to this day, we're talking 2008 to 2021. I think maybe three basketball players or less haven't redshirted um, essentially what you do is you come to Chico state your first year and you don't play, uh, you sit out your first season. You're granted four years of college eligibility to play your sport. Um, but, but you're given five years to do so. So in your very first year you sit out and, and coach clean kind of uses that as just your transitional period. Um, it, every detail matters. So that's learning your college lifestyle as an athlete, as a student athlete, um, going to classes, getting ahead, um, sort of basically starting your classes so that you could take 12 units instead of 15 if you wanted to just do the, the safe kind of normal pace, uh, and then getting acclimated to our basketball program. Uh, while I was there, we won uh, one league championship and a Western Region title. And um, over the course of Coach Klink's career, he's, he's had multiple West Region titles and most, multiple league titles. And I think that red shirt year uh, played a part of it. Learning that culture, as I mentioned, you know, my first year there, um, thinking I knew the game and thinking I knew what it took and and it going into Coach Klink as the head honcho and and the players falling in line behind that. We had some very good veterans. Uh, I had some amazing vets uh, in my tenure there um, who helped kind of ease that way and, and show me the process.
2: Man, that's awesome, dude. So this is, I didn't know you registered your first year. Now I think back, you might've told me that. But you talked about, you came there with the big head. Hey, I'm the man. I'm I'm just here for a season. And I'm off to D1. Talking about what it was like, hey, now you're going to sit down this year. Would you, how'd you take that? How'd it impact you when they, I'm not on the court?
0: Yeah, uh, man, I embraced it. <laughs> and, and I mean, so in, in kind of ways you maybe wouldn't think I... I uh, I knew I wanted to play basketball at the next level, but I never would know kind of what the college experience would be as a non-athlete. So man, I, I dove into the dorms, I dove into the parties. I'm not afraid to, to say it. Uh we we didn't have to, as a red shirt, you usually get an extra practice uh in addition to the team, like a red shirt kind of workout either in the morning or the evening. You go to study hall. But in the season, you know, you do everything except playing the games. And even sometimes, you know, as the season's kind of um, dwindling on into the postseason, you know, the coaches need to spend their time on the actual team at hand. And so I got the college experience. Uh, I, I knew the sacrifice that I made coming up there and, you know, the following four years wouldn't be the same. So uh, just networking and and being able to socialize with my students, I embraced every moment. Uh I think there was a a point in time where uh the team went out on the road uh to like their division one matchups in the evenings. And you know, they're getting back to Chico late at night at 1231. And here they see this six five guy walking back to his dorms as they're pulling <laughs> to the parking lot. And so. You know, I, I remember it was a Monday morning practice after maybe the second time I was spotted from like the the transportation uh, charter bus. You know, they came on and, you know, Coach Clink brought it in, We put a hand in. He's like, fellas, I just want to say one thing. Uh, there's nobody having more fun here than Amir Carraway. You know, people <laughs> on three, one, two, three. So it was embarrassing, but like, you know, uh, the the following year and, you know, you're in the limelight, you're, you're going to be, uh, Showcase and you do represent your school, you represent your family, uh, and you represent the basketball program. You kind of gotta take a step back. So um, I did have to pay my dues my freshman year, and sit behind uh, Great Rod Hawkins, who who went to Jesuit High in Sacramento, California, uh, for his senior year, uh, where he was like an all conference selection. But then sophomore, junior, senior, uh, I took a step up and I started every game and. Uh, we started to win and I started to see, you know, my individual success uh, increase and and uh, just locked into to what I came there for.
2: Yeah. So there's a reoccurring theme is hustle, grind, and then networking. You even took advantage of that retro year to network. So we're going to pause here for a commercial break. Then we're going to hop back, get into it and talk about your time overseas, man, and how, how that opportunity arose. All right. We'll be right back, guys. Stay tuned.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? If you're enjoying the show, make sure to leave a rating and review on whatever listening platform you're using. We really appreciate it, and make sure you share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show.
2: Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. I'm still here with Amir Caraway, and we're going to talk about his transition from D2 college basketball star to playing overseas. So, Amir, take it away from there. Senior year. All right, was it your senior year when you got discovered? Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure, you know, what my exposure was um, as I was playing, you know, coming from a deep uh, division II school and not knowing, you know, what it takes. I kind of started my sophomore year uh, investigating of of that uh, professional world. Again, like I kind of said, I I always tried to make a plan or or figure out how to kind of reverse engineer it to get get that opportunity. and, And I did just that. Um, Jay Flores was a senior, uh, my sophomore year when we had one and he had, uh, went on to play his first year professional in Mexico. And so again, kind of similar to the story I shared of like my friend in the exposure camps, I began hitting Jay up kind of, Hey, what's the road? Like what's practices like, what are you doing? Uh, that's different from college. Cause I, I was able to see his work ethic head on.
2: Let's pause there because I meant to touch on that when you first mentioned it. Like, it's that—that's th- a blessing to be at such a young age when you, you're in junior high or the first time your boy was playing for the AAU leagues, and to learn. Okay, to be like this guy. Let me ask him what he did. It's so, it's so, it's so easy. Like myself, I wasn't always like that. Yeah. For me, it's like I'm gonna get it out the way. I'm doing my way. My way is the right way. If he could do it on his own, I can do it on my own but it's so much easier when you see somebody who's made the path and people like, I'm an advisor by trade. People yeah. like giving advice. So when you ask someone for their leadership and mentorship, Hey, how'd you do it? It gets you there that much faster. So that man, shout out to your mom and your grandpa, whoever that came from, they taught you how to how to ask and how to learn from others.
0: Cause yeah, you know, you know, it goes back from high school. We used to have, Uh, I was a social guy. I was talkative in school. But whenever we had like a guest speaker come, uh, I would just listen. I think we talked about kind of the tattoo on my arm and what it signifies. Um, uh, Listen, I I got a tattoo on my left forearm. uh, That's a a mantra I got from my grandfather. And um, for the listeners, it's a it's a hand giving out a piece of gum. It was it's a big red. Uh, cinnamon gum with the words listen on the bottom. And I got it from my grandfather uh, when we were younger. He would pull up to our grandmother's house and uh, his truck would always smell like this big red cinnamon gum. And, you know, as a as a grandchild, you know, you just want candy from your grandparent. You'd love to see your grandparents. So we'd ask them, uh, big daddy, big daddy, uh, can we get a stick of gum? And big daddy's an old Southern term for like grandpa based out of Louisiana. That's where we're from. Uh, New Orleans. And so it's like, sure, you know, what's the magic word? And the magic word was listen. Um I didn't get this tattoo. Uh so here we are October 27, 2021. I've I've had this tattoo now for about two years. Um it is always something that I that stuck with me that I wanted to put on my body to represent my grandfather. But it wasn't until kind of uh college when you know we're in the huddles and our coach is telling us like how to beat a team and I'm going out there and implementing it. And I kind of turned back to the coach like, oh, man, like what he just told me actually translated it worked." And then I got to the next uh, huddle, you know, next time out. And I was kind of more aware of like, wow, coach told so-and-so to do it. And it's crazy how we got out the huddle and he just didn't hear anything the coach had said. And and (laughs) I, I, you know, in the moment was like, wow, like, you know, listening can really take you places. Like, I I think a lot of people kind of overlooked that. And uh, I had another guy, Jesse Levine, who was like our director at Cutco. Um, Very great mentor. Uh, He's actually uh, the founder of the company I work for now. And I reached out to him uh, before um, getting the role that I have and, and I told him like, hey, uh, you might not remember me, but uh, when I was 18 years old, you gave me some key advice that has you know, shaped my life and have gotten me to the professional ranks. And uh, it was a quote, you know, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your reality. And, you know, it starts in your mind and then it starts with your affirmations and you putting it out there and you letting people know. Um, and then you kind of got to man up or not man up, but you kind of got to live up to to those expectations. You're talking about it. So now you got to walk about it. You got to do it. And then as you're doing those actions and as you're figuring it out, it does become reality and you can get there. And just in terms of mentorship and and in terms of getting you know to where you want. Jesse was one of the very first people it was like, Hey, you don't see, you know, a homeless man, uh, giving, you know, millions, uh, giving money advice. You wouldn't probably take, you know, advice from a homeless man on how to make money. You you go find the millionaire and you ask them, what did they do? Or you ask them their story um, because they're there. If, if it's been done once, it could be done again. And so, uh, saying all that as, as my, A teammate, Jay Flores, was a Division II athlete, undersized, six foot, and he's now playing um, professional basketball. I'm asking him, you know, how did he uh, make that transition and and what was his work ethic and what is the playing style like to be able to then be at that level one day?
2: So talking about uh, what was it? What, What got you into the league overseas? and then what was that life like what was it like playing ball i know you played in several different countries
0: yeah let's talk about um, that yeah well professional basketball is a business so uh the first thing you you need to rightfully do is is hire a representation i uh i put on interviews after my senior year it's like spring break we have the week off and i'm pretty sure i was just in my my uh my apartment Um, having interviews, uh, Skype interviews with, uh, agents overseas and and getting, um, figuring out which agent I wanted to represent me to start my career. So I, I held, uh, maybe 10 interviews. It was my very first agent that I liked in the very first interview, but I continued the rest of the interviews to hear their perspective and, um, see how they differentiated. And then, so I held a second interview um, with that first agent, and he went on to uh, represent me for my first um, my first three seasons.
2: Now, hey, that's awesome, man. And, and it says a lot there that you like the first guy, but you still interviewed several other ones. And I tell my clients the same thing as they come meet with me about planning. Hey, listen, this is a huge decision you're going to make. Like, this is your future. You're making a decision. Right. You might like me, but interview a couple other advisors. And if you still like me, then come back and we'll do business at that point. But it's important to really do that interview process and really own up and see this this is my future. Same with real estate. Same with a real estate agent. You're making a huge purchase. You you might have a ton of friends who are in real estate, but you want the right person to represent you. This is you who's making the investment. The little commission they make off that house is not going to change their life like a commitment to basketball relation with a financial advisor our home purchase will impact yours. So for our listeners, make sure you do your due diligence for your own stuff and don't, don't fall in love with the first thing you've seen. That's just some, some basic tips there. But so what was like, life like playing ball overseas?
0: What was money like? (laughs) It was great, man. Uh, first, first season, you know, I've, I'm playing, uh, I think power forward, if you will, or like a hybrid forward in college, uh, very similar to what Draymond Green does on the Warriors, kind of just everything else. Like I'm, I'm making passes. I'm shooting just a little bit. I'm dribbling a little bit. And uh, I'm definitely buying into like the team's defensive scheme transition, man. I'm about six, five. I'm, I'm now playing shooting guard, a, a mm-hmm. totally different position that I haven't played. in, in t- since I was about seven or eight years old, <laughs> Uh, playing shooting guard at the professional rank. So, you know, that summer, I remember I cut weight. I think I started at, like, my senior year, I was about 228 pounds um, because I actually we played small ball then, so I was playing the five. So I I actually got a little bigger so I could guard that position uh, to basically cutting weight to about 205 pounds, uh, being this super tall guard uh, playing my first season in the German Pro-A League. Um, the the competition was fierce, man. Every possession matters when you're you're playing in Europe. Uh, I had a great team my very first year in terms of roster uh, and great vets that um, vets are everything, man, but um, great vets that you know can shape my career. So i um, starting with Chase Griffin, uh, Division one athlete out of Pepperdine, um, one of the top shooting guards uh in that league and and had a pretty profound career we he's still playing to this day I mean he's probably on his fifth season when I met him as a rookie and he's still playing right now in 2021 but we shared the same agent and he just showed me the work ethic man uh coming coming to the gym early and being professional no matter what the situation is whether that's a coach leaving roster situation uh roster change I mean um, bringing your a game and having a smile on your face, coming into a uh, training camp in shape, uh, Ahmad Smith, uh, again, uh, played at St. Bonaventure, six, five guard nicknamed Mr. Triple double. Cause he's doing <laughs> that. Um, one of the first things he told me in my first three games. So I like, don't switch anything up, man. What, what got you here? That's what got your foot in the door you double down on that. You don't go, uh, I don't know, being the best dribbler in the country. And then you start going working on your post game 24 seven, you're not playing in the post. You came here to dribble, you dribble. So, so my just, just, uh, telling me to be instilling confidence in me to, to be who, who it was that got me here and, and living with those consequences because, Hey, in these pro ranks, man, these, these Americans are interchangeable. You, you want to do what you know, and, and, and be you hundred percent yourself and, and the rest of it's going to take care of yourself. And, and Donald Lawson, big man out of Western Michigan, uh, six, nine bruiser, um, just watching him in the weight room, how he just didn't let nobody, uh, punk him, uh, he came to work, man. He just, and he had, he was a silent teacher. Like he wasn't quiet, but man, if I came in that key, man, I do give me a forearm shiver and put me on my butt. Um, the, those three were, were just great. And, and, you know, they kind of gave me their perspectives of what their careers were like, you know, prior to that season and just grinding. Uh, I probably had five or six other, uh, professionals come in to replace my spot my first year. And my agent told me that from the start, like, um, hey, man, if you ever see a guy your size that you don't know that comes into practice, chances are he's there to take your spot. So, you know, I was a I was a role player my first year, kind of one of the first people off the bench. I think I started a game or two and uh, Chase had went down. But we had a we had a squad that was um, going to move up into the Bundesliga, the, the first league of Germany where a lot yeah. of uh, NBA bounce backs play and so
2: the Bundesliga uh, would be the equivalent of the
0: NBA correct so yeah. there's there's uh the BBL called the Bundesliga there's Pro-A, which is like the second division that would be the uh, that be uh, the D league the development league here or not not really it, it's just kind of i mean i guess so but um you know these pro- professional uh teams in these countries you know Germany Spain France. Uh, those are the top three I can think of right now. Uh, they have multiple leagues. So yes, the, their top tier talent is their, their first league is their NBA. And it just kind of trickles down after that. It's actually similar to the professional football or soccer. Yeah, I was
2: just say it's like I was
0: just gonna say it must be similar to the soccer system. Exactly. So where you're the like top two teams in your division, you're able to move up into the next division. Yep. If you're the uh, bottom two teams of your division, you move down a division. That's so, cool. So uh the, the first team I went to, Rasta Vesta, uh, started in I think the fourth division and worked their way all up to all the way up to the first league. Uh, in like, four, uh, they moved up three or four divisions within four to five years, all but, uh-huh. but one year they moved up. And so the year I came, they had just moved back down from the top league. So the goal going in was to get back to the top league. Um, we paid for the best point guard, Ahmad Smith, we paid for the best shooting guard, Chase Griffin, we paid for the best center and Donald Lawson. Uh, Me and another professional, Vinny Bailey, another D2 All-American who's been killing it in Europe. What up, Vinny? And around the world uh, where the the Americans added to the team and we filled up a lot of German national team uh, players to fill out the roster. And so we fell short, man. We had championship expectations. Uh, We had a lot of roster uh, changes and we had a coaching change um, because we weren't reaching our goal And um, I I was able to experience all of it in my first year, which set me up for a good career. Uh, We didn't make the playoffs. As I mentioned, you know, I had guys come in and take my spot and I almost had a buyout to go play in another team. But um, when the second coach arrived, he kind of told me, like, hey, go to this practice with this other team and uh, you can miss ours. And there, there was something with like the transportation. So I ended up staying in my local team and, and practicing. And I remember him pulling me to the side and was like, Hey, sit on the side. You're not going anywhere. You're going to stay with us. Like I'm going to have the starters play and tried to figure out, you know, a way for us to kind of win at the end. But um, yeah, anytime someone came from my spot, man, uh, I held my ground and, and kept it. And, you know, uh, that that's part of, you know the pro ranks, what people don't realize as a division two athlete is you don't get as many chances as the division ones. Um, I, I try to tell uh, my Chico state guys, whenever they ask me pro tips of like what it's like and, and what the professional ranks are like. And it's like, Hey, at the end of the day, year in year out, if you're that bench warmer from Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, Arizona, or UCLA, chances are I'm not going to get the phone call first. They are. So when you get called out, you show out. And um, in doing so, I was able to play uh six years professional before the pandemic.
2: So let's talk about what that was like getting paid to play the game. You love getting that check on your own foreign country, being yeah. a networker you are. So yeah. let's talk about how, how was it like networking in different cultures? And also, what was it like with the finances? How how did you manage your money? Were you still budgeting? Let's try to tackle that all in one question.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, first year uh, first is about staying. You know, 75% of the guys that come come in maybe get shit back. And And the biggest thing about being pro is if you can complete your first year, you do get that second year opportunity. They want to see can you handle it. And so uh, most of the time you start on a lower pay scale. I believe I was making about like 1400 euros a month. And what that means is uh, as a professional player, you get your flights taken care of. uh, They take care of your apartment. Uh, They usually give you a car. I'll just go with my first year. They gave me a flight. They gave me uh, my flights to and from America. Uh, They put me in uh, my own loft, they gave me a car, they gave me a uh, um, personal mountain bike, and there were a couple of restaurants that sponsored the team where I can go in and eat a meal. So when I say I made 1400 euros a month, that's all take home pay after taxes for me to do, you know, as I please. That's
2: like so, your per diem, that's exactly.
0: Right. So, um,
2: so, so, dollars a month doesn't sound like a, month, a lot, but when it's fourteen hundred a month after all expenses
0: are paid for, right. you're
2: living good. You're living good. Yeah. I hate
0: to, I hate to put uh, America under the bus, but uh, <laughs> in Europe they pay your taxes and then give you your money. So when you say you're making fourteen hundred, that is take home. Where you know here, it's your fourteen hundred you see on your check or like That's maybe gross. your salary. And then you are paying those taxes um, in Europe, they, they do that as well as benefits. Like I had dental, all that stuff, health insurance. Um, and so uh, at the time, the, the European dollar, I think 1400 equated to almost like 1900 or two grand in American USD. And, and so uh, knowing that I had a budget, um, my mother at the time was uh, struggling financially So I was helping her out. It was actually, you know, one of the lowest uh, points of my, you know, financial, uh, my financial status. But uh, I made it work, Uh, tried to save uh, money every other month uh, if I didn't have bills or I didn't have to send some money home. But, you know, as you progress throughout the years, those numbers change. So um, I wasn't happy with the career I was having in Europe after three seasons in Germany. Um, I felt like I could do more and I wasn't being able to showcase my talent. so then I went to go play in colombia uh, where we won a championship my very first season there. Um, and i remember having the conversation my third year in Germany like in the uh, the stairwell of my apartment you know mad and angry because um, I know what I'm able to do and I, I know what i'm capable of and I'm not getting that opportunity. and it was the team who actually reached out to me before the very first team, I played for, um, I had the, I had two offers go to Colombia and play on the team Cimarrones de Choco or go to Europe, which I thought was a little bit more prestigious and play for Rasta Vesta. So that same owner reached out from Cimarrones de Choco, uh, and he was like, Hey, you're like, you're the missing piece. We're going to have a championship team. And, you know, I'm kind of sitting there like, man, that's kind of what everybody says. Like you got to say anything to get you, but, uh. I had a, another great, you know, advisor, a former, uh, or not a former, he's a Colombian, uh, come a Colombian native who was actually, um, coaching, uh, stateside. And he had got hold of me and said, Hey, you, you definitely want to do this. Like this guy, when he says he, he means it, like, this is good people you want to probably network with. So I went down there and won the championship. And that's when the pay uh, rose after that. Like in the professional ranks, you get paid for stats and you get paid for winning um, straight up. Uh, And you got to think of it like this. And this is what I learned kind of my first year. Again, if you're playing better than the starter and the starters making, let's say, 20,000 a month, yet you're paying 1,000 a month. Who do you think the owner wants to see play? He wants to see the guy he's investing the money to. Otherwise, he's got to go. Why am I paying this guy 20 times the amount as the other guy if the other guy is that capable? So that's it's sort of the business within the business. Um, And again, like you're you're fighting for minutes, but you got to show what you can do um, in order to excel your your pay, you know, whether that's the end of the year and, and teams are looking for new players like who won from that championship team. Oh, that guy off the bench. Well, he didn't get that much time. Well, he's a champion. He can maybe bring that culture into my organization, pay raise. Oh, that guy averaged 15 a game, off limited minutes. What happens if he actually has a starting role? Pay raise. And so you work your way up the, the, this uh, circle. Mind you, as teams, you know, you're relegating and getting promoted through divisions as well. And so um, by the time I got to, uh, I finished my third year. In Colombia, I'm now making uh, close to four to five thousand uh, take home uh, per month, and able to then go to China. Uh, kind of fast forward two seasons where I'm now making you know five figures a month, and I'm I'm learning like a whole other side of you know life after basketball.
2: So let's fast forward there, man. I gotta go back and continue to say, listen, man. You you've done a great job of listening and learning from others and. I really appreciate you sharing the business behind the sport. That's one thing that was missing in boxing when I was fighting was I didn't have a business mindset. I didn't see myself as the commodity as an actual business itself. And I didn't make the, take the best fights. I didn't yeah. like, that like you talked about uh, coming off the bench with, with X amount of minutes, making this, and how that's going to raise your pay, getting a pay raise, pay raise. I, I didn't think with that way. So wherever that came from, whoever, maybe it was that um, coach from Columbia, whoever talked talk to the business around the sport, and they did a great job with that. So I appreciate you, appreciate you sharing that. I hope the listeners are taking heed to that. Now let's talk about that transition to, I don't know if it was a pandemic, but you and I talked in person. So you and I know that what it's like for, to, to kind of leave that professional career, the thing you've been doing your whole life, the time you were a kid to adulthood and say it's ran it's course and that I'm a little farther down that road than you are. So I've to terms with like terms with like, I'm not getting back in the ring and I got yeah. a few fights left in me and I'm saving them for the, the must have, the yeah. must win, the must W. But um, you're at that transitioning point now to where you still have the talent. You still have the capability. You still have your youth. And, but you also have a mind, you also have a brain, you also have skills that haven't, you haven't really got to exercise. Yeah. So, what's that? What was that transition like? I know it was painful, but what was it like to decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to try, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere to a cold different career. Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll make it a quick story so I can answer your question. But it, it happened my second year overseas in Germany where I remember going to a club. And, you know, obviously skipping the line and all. And um, a guy says, hey, what's up, man? You play for the so-and-so team? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I used to play on the team as a German player. And I'm like, oh, that's what's up. And he's like, yeah. I got into, you know, bouncing the club uh, as a bouncer um, so I could, like, save my check from the season. And I got, you know, income coming in and kind of the light bulb came off. And so what had happened from what he had told me Again, I guess listening, uh, that summer, it's, uh, I want to say 2015, I'm going to the Warriors parade because they had just won the championship and I'm getting in my very first Uber. And I'm like, what is this? And it's like, yo, it's Uber, like this new taxi system. You can create (laughs) your own schedule. Um, You just type in the app and the person like picks you up and drops you off. No money is exchanged. It goes to their bank account. And so the light bulb goes off from like the bouncer. And I'm like, I spend the like five minute drive asking him questions about the job. So I'm like, hey, yo, my man, like, how do you like this? What do you do? And he's just like, man, I just talk with people. Uh, mobile bartending is what I call it. And I was like, yeah, because like you get the client, you make them feel good. And and hopefully they're in a better place with how you, you left them. And so what I was able to do with my money now is I'm coming home overseas and I'm saving the money I earn. And I would Uber drive on the weekends. I'm I'm over here, you know, uh honing in on my craft Monday through Friday. In the evening, I would go visit various friends when they got off of work and would kind of socialize with them. And then I'd spend my Friday, Saturday, Sundays driving Uber, making an additional, you know, one to two thousand dollars a week uh just for not going out. As you're going out spending money, I'm getting paid. Uh, I'm getting paid money while you're going out and you're like your leisure time. And so, uh, I said all that to say, you know, thinking life after basketball, like, Hey, I can get injured tomorrow or, you know, I'm 30 years old now. Uh, I got 10 years left of basketball. Like that's probably as far as I would want to push it. Uh, shout outs to some of my friends, Aaron Maxey that are, you know, over 40 and still playing professional. But I, I think I'm I'll be good after that. I'm thinking of my knees whenever I have kids. I want to still be able to show my son I can take them when that time comes. Uh and daughter too. Uh I, I love ladies' hoops. But um thinking life after basketball. And so uh learning that from Ch- in China, everyone had multiple roles, multiple businesses, um, thinking life after basketball. And so the pandemic happened, and I'm getting kind of uh told from teams like, Hey, we don't know what's going to happen. We promise we can't, you know, throw you out on the street. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can't even, you know, offer, I I get, maybe we can't do full guaranteed contracts because we don't know where the money's coming, but uh, you can't even give me a flight back. And they kind of reiterated, Hey, we won't, you know, throw you out on, on the streets. And I'm like, man, I I'd rather be home. I've dealt with, uh, I had one season overseas where, uh, it didn't go how I liked, and it was hard getting back home because the team just ran out of money, and they they didn't tell me uh, they didn't tell me they did hadn't bought my flight, so I had to sit there and wait to get get sent back home. Um, but I, I just started thinking of of life after basketball, and you know I was able to network and connect, and, and kind of take some of all of the the skills I have uh, uh, accumulated over the years. And I was like, you know, it's time to at least apply them until we figure out what's going on, you know, with our world. And so, you know, when the shutdowns happen, uh, the first thing I did was I stayed in the gym. And uh, I had a, a friend of mine looking on his phone after one of our workouts. We were we were getting it in that whole summer, um, you know, two workouts in before like one p.m. And my friend's checking his phone before closing. And I'm like, man, what are you doing? He's like, man, I'm checking over my stocks. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Like, what do what you invest in? I graduated in finance. Like, tell me more. And he shows me kind of his portfolio. And he's like, yo, there's this new company coming out, uh, Neo. They're supposed to be like the next Tesla, the EV space. And the light bulb went off again. Uh, what had happened was a year before, I had left my TV on in China and I only had one English channel. And so it woke me up, you know, two or three, uh, two or three in the morning. And I'm hearing about, uh, it's like a BBC documentary on what the EV industry is going to be like over the next decade. And me being the listener that I am and kind of a weirdo, I woke up, I took the hotel memo pad and I just started taking notes from the, documentary so when my friend tells me about this company neo Uh, you gotta go right right back to listen yeah i'm like where's that listen again it's it's uh it was a sign it was a um it was an omen uh for those of you guys that don't know what an omen is i please encourage you to uh read the book uh oh and it's coming off my mind right now oh it's gonna kill me i'll figure out the book name later you'll have to shout that out at the end but um, not The Pilgrimage, The Alchemist. That's the name of the book, The Alchemist by Paolo Cello. Uh, what an omen is, is that kind of come to moment where like I learned about this company a year ago and then here my friend is telling me about it and, and going with that sign, going with that flow. And so I was like, yo, what's the stock price at right now? And at the time it was under $8 a share. And I was like, okay, where's it? where do you think it's going to go? And he's like, man, they're saying, you know, close to the eighties. And I'm like, okay. Like I knew I did my due diligence in terms of the documentary. Like I'm gonna look into it. So every day I kept checking in with them and I watched it rise to about $10, $11. And I stopped watching. I instantly went and opened up uh, a couple of accounts, like a TD Ameritrade account. And I was like, I had a financial advisor who was doing Mutual funds for me, but I didn't, I wasn't taking control of my uh, financial situation. So I opened up a couple of individual accounts myself. And essentially, I put in our first stimulus check and I kind of matched it. So I put about, you know, $3,000 in the stock market. And uh, before diving in and, and before being able to really study finance, you know, day in, day out from, March of the shutdowns until, you know, to this day, I didn't know much about the, the the ins and outs of the financial industry. And so I was able to grow, you know, a measly three thousand dollars to, um, you know, five figures again in, in a short term of like, I think, four or five months, uh, whether that was day trading, scalping and just long term holding and learning how to diversify my portfolio. Tailored to your risk tolerance and
2: goals. It should be specific. As far as the cryptocurrency part, we might even edit that out just because right. it's, it's so it's, volatile. It's decentral
0: is so decentralized. Yeah, is. And um, you know, the yeah, the the laws are different for every country.
2: But one thing you did hear him say is he did his due diligence. Now yes. he's not an advisor, but he does have a degree in finance and he does know how to research it and he has taken economic classes so disclaimer now let's talk about what you're doing now is social and now, now you're making some money this is how you and I met let's talk about this career and how that's been and how it goes back to networking to the guy who you networked with back in college what was yeah. his name Jesse?
0: Jesse Levine. Let's, let's hear it. So yeah Jesse Levine uh, went from you know uh, had a huge sales uh, experience and a very great entrepreneurial journey uh, went from directing at Cutco and being, you know, in the top percent in terms of sales and training and leading other people to do the same to owning up multiple companies of his own. And and I, I reached out for just a recommendation,
2: uh, so, a digital so,
0: recommendation.
2: So did you reach out to him back from you haven't you've gone overseas now, played ball and years later? Hey, right. just remember me. We talked a little bit was that how it was how'd it go
0: right the message itself was like you might not remember me uh i had broken my hand my first year at chico so uh that that uh winter i went and i ran the cutco office as like a as a manager and kind of helped the new recruits and so i came there with the cash so yeah my my message to jesse was Hey, Jesse, you might not remember me, but one of the biggest quotes, which I I had mentioned earlier, played a key role in uh, bringing me to this point, man. I played overseas. I've seen the world. I've gotten uh, kind of everything in life that I've wanted to get, you know, based off your advice. You know, your thoughts become your words, Your words become your actions, your actions become your reality. Uh, Just wanted to say thank you um, for that and getting me to this point. And I was hoping if you could write, you know, just a digital recommendation uh, on my LinkedIn page, uh, which he still hasn't done. That's kind of (laughs) like you go on my LinkedIn right now. I didn't get that recommendation. But Jesse gave me something so much better. He gave me a phone call that next morning. Uh, I don't think he remembered me. I told him like, hey, I had the cast on. We did this like company event that you would remember because you put it on. But I was the guy on the cast. You kind of told me, like, hey, don't fall, man. You got a college scholarship. Like, take care of yourself. You need to, uh, I, I was, that sounds like drinking. We were on <laughs> we were on an ice skating rink, like, with no, we were playing, like, hockey without skates. But you would use your shoes. So, like, I slipped and, like, fell on my back and had my hand up. But he was like, hey, take it easy. <laughs> you're a college athlete. Uh, so, I, like, shared that story. But I don't think he remembered it. And so um, there we go. Uh, I was trying to uh, get into the fintech recruiting world uh, as a recruiting coordinator and, and start my career there. And he said, hey, man, I, I actually own my own uh, recruiting agency, if that's something you're considering. But let me show you a new company um, that I just you know, started and I'm happy to uh, maybe direct you in. It, it is sales related. Uh you sound like a a pretty good go-getter, uh, you mind taking this, this meeting. And so it ends up being, uh, the social publication where I help, uh, businesses kind of connect more with, with, um, residents in, in communities and, and target markets that, that they're looking to do. And so, um, as publishing director, I meet with all businesses and I get a high engagement from the residents, um, of kind of letting them know, uh, what the residents like and want and connecting the two together. Um, and so it's been exciting, man, I've been doing this now for a little over a half a year, and I've been able to generate, you know, over $200,000 of, of local business and um, putting uh, putting uh, ideal clients in, in a grasp of being seen by some of the local businesses in the area. Um, my projections plan on having my company be over a million dollars, uh, hopefully by December, 2022 or, or, uh, slightly under that, but, um, being able to generate a a six figure business, you know, is no easy feat. Like I had the ups and downs and, uh, Jesse has been there to kind of mentor me and, and just give me sound advice of just that same champions find a way mentality and, and how, to, you know, obviously uh, be better at the job you know, there is a learning curve, but, but really finding what I've, I've loved to come to do, you know um, if there is no life after basketball, I haven't like officially retired or anything like that. But, you know, as at 30 years old and, and mentioning, you know, basketball, uh, that basketball w- window is now sh- slightly closing. You know, you got to think about what you're going to be doing off the court and what you, what you want to be able to do, you know, lifelong and, and um, being financially um, free and, and being able to, you know, being able to be a part of like my kids' or family's life and um, being able to go on vacation when I want to. Not having to rely on someone bringing in um, someone paying me as opposed to, again, me uh, making money on my own and me generating business and me uh, generating jobs for others uh, is some of the three three or four um, keys that that I wanted to at least be able to control, you know, in terms of my livelihood and, and the impact I want to see uh, amongst my peers in my community.
2: Yeah, nah, man, that it sounds like you know you're built for this. It goes back to listening. You got to listen to what business owners want what the community wants, share that with others and networking. And this like this this career is all about networking that you're doing now. You, I'm glad you're in a position where you're able to really use your talents, man. To Use your skills, use your talents and really impact others. You said helping others, giving others opportunity to earn income. That's important to you. That's what it's all about is mentorship. You'll be able to talk to other athletes who are in similar boats as you similar situations as you might be Because it might be you have a story that you can share with people There might be on that same coin flip, like continue down this road as a pro basketball player. I know I'm in my last window here. Let me go take my talents elsewhere and see what else God has in store for me. And it's awesome that there's someone like you that can share your story of success and let them know what the other side of the bridge looks like. So I'm glad you're in a position to be able to do that. Man, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. I'm sure the listeners learned a lot. Um, Shout out to that guy, Jesse Levine. Go ahead. Uh,
0: Yeah, I did have one more thing that just came to mind that I, I I guess, kind of avoided saying through all this. And it's kind of, uh, I wanted to make sure the listeners heard it. It's, you know, being open to listening, being flexible um, in all of this, somewhat, I've been able to kind of create my own schedule. But in other times, you know, I did sacrifice like there are times in this where like, I would be studying over the weekends when it was, you know, doing my due diligence, looking up prospectuses from different um, different um, holding companies of how they're investing. Um, currently in this job, like I have, uh, I've reached out to, you know, Grant Cardone and have taken sales trainings, one of the top, you know, salesmen in this country. Uh, I'm reading, um, I guess, what I, what I, I'm sharing my journey, but again, this all isn't, you know, this all came in my mind and I did this all on my own. No, I, I read a lot of books. I spent a lot of time prospecting the right sources and figuring out if some of these decisions are the right ones and, and getting second opinions and really studying to, to be sure if that's the decision I made, I wanted to make. And then while, uh, Going with that decision, still constantly learning, you know, um, whether that was basketball, improving, taking care of my body, or that's off the court. Again, reading uh, financial education books, prospects, financial statements that are all public, um, that the companies do reveal so you can find, you know, companies to believe in and, and uh, that you know are going to be there long term that you want to invest with. Or that sales, learning how to talk to people, learning, um, learning about these businesses. As I'm doing what I do now, uh, I'm learning exactly how certain businesses work and and their ebbs and flows and and where they plan to project and, and just trying to find that partnership or or that alignment that makes sense for the customer and it's not for me. Um, just really trying to be a, a value add. And helping others um, kind of better their business. I just wanted to, to say that in terms of um, being flexible and and kind of, you know, give more than you get. Um, and, and in the moment, you know, it might not be uh how you want it, but having gratitude and and thinking bigger picture if like, hey, this could be bigger than me and um being thankful for just waking up, man. There, there's so much more things people are going through. Uh, throughout this world and even in our own country and even in our own neighborhoods. Um, so it's, it's been a blessing, but by all means, I, I wanted to at least, I guess, tell you the finite points of like, this didn't, this isn't Amir Caraway figured it out. It's just, no, I, I kept my ears open and I'm still learning. Um, so.
2: It goes back to that word, listen, man, and you're doing it, you're doing your grandpa proud, man. That's the magic word. Let's, um, I always end these shows the same, man, with the same the, with the same question. And I understand that anyone's particular question, answer to this question will change throughout over time. Like, you might not be the same today as what it will be three years from now. I can almost guarantee it's not. But this show is all about financial success. So what do the words financial success mean to you, Amir Caraway, today, 10-27-2021, and I don't mean from a dollar amount, I mean from a quality of life. What does that lifestyle look like for you, a financially successful lifestyle look like for you, Amir?
0: Uh, freedom, the the freedom to choose. Um, I, I kind of the picture in my mind right now is like, you know, uh, uh, having a family, having a spouse and kids and uh, being able to make all my children's games or community events and not have to say, hey, I have to work and miss out being able to have passive income to where I can actually go to those games and have money coming in where, uh, you know, I have to decide, I, I have to miss out on what I find are, are uh, the important things, uh, your time and, and, um, sharing your life with, with the people you care about being able to, um, do those things and not have to, have it worry about financial struggle to me is what I I think success is, whether that's, Hey, you got one extra dollar in the bank, but you're able to move around, man. It, that's success to me. Cause um, yeah, money is money. Um, it goes up, it goes down. Inflation's here. I think it's like 11% over the past four years, but um, you know, love lasts forever and, and time doesn't last forever. And so being in the, the position that you, uh, be around the people you love with the time that you have. To me, uh, is is really um, what I define as success.
2: Yeah, it comes down to freedom. It sounds like freedom to be with and do the things that you be with the people you love and do the things that you love doing. So, beer, you've been an awesome guest, man. I'm glad. I'm so glad we got a chance to meet in person. I'm glad that you came on the show. I'm sure the audience will have a lot to learn from this. And thank you for sharing your story, man. God bless.
1: Thanks so much, Peyton. God bless. Payne is a financial professional with Homes Financial of and Securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company Financial Services, Inc. BFCFS member FINRA FIPC Homes Financial is independent of BFCFS.